Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Tonight's first Bible reading is from Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its, at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Hello everyone. Today we're going to read Mark chapter 2 verse 1 to uh, chapter 3 verse 6. Okay. And my version is ESV. So welcome to read with me. And when he returned to the Capnon after some days, it was reported like he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to him. And then came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their face, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, what, what does this man speak like that? He was blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Race, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, raise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were not all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. 
And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners are reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of the physicians, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now just disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sows in piece of drink cloths on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and the worst tear is made, and no more puts new wine into the old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh white skin. Um, once Bas was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you never read that uh, David said? When he was in need, what hung was hungry, he and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of her presence which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the other hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The 
Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Uh, g'day, online church. If you were tempted to close Mark, uh, I want to encourage you to open it up again. Uh, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark at this time, uh, getting a chance to see Jesus up close and personal in all of his glory and beauty and splendor. Uh, not only do you need God's Word open in front of you to just check that you know I'm saying the right thing, but we also need God's help to um, enable us uh, to understand his Word. So let's pray together as we come to God's Word this, tonight. Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray that, Lord, through his, your word, by the Spirit, we'd see Jesus, we'd hear Jesus, and we'd love Jesus tonight. So, Father, help me to preach with power and to preach faithfully, and help us all to listen well um, as we uh, come together tonight, even though we're scattered. Uh, so please work powerfully through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. John Calvin, the great church reformer, uh, spoke about true wisdom and, and he said this, that true wisdom consists of two parts, um, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. Um, and for Calvin, these two parts inform the other. Uh, so for you to understand, you know, the more you understand who God actually is, the more you'll see who you are as one made in his image. And a failure to know yourself well will actually, you know what, distort your approach or understanding of who Jesus is, who your saviour, who your maker is you'll see him through a kind of skewed lens, for want of a better phrase. You see, true wisdom is to have a right understanding of God and a right understanding of yourself. And without both of those parts functioning together, um, real wisdom, real life, and actually real joy will elude you, will be elusive. And so today we press on with Mark's gospel uh, into chapter 2, and still uh, the pressing question is, who is this man? Like, who is Jesus? still hangs over this chapter. Um, but before we step in and look at all the evidence of who Jesus is, we must understand that our knowledge of him depends a whole lot on our perception of ourselves. So does this sound like you? I'm going to read a few things now. Does this sound like you? Um, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So says the prophet Isaiah. Or would this kind of make it onto your credentials? Uh, that you wouldn't even look up to heaven, but you, you would beat your breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, the 39 articles of the Church of England uh, describe people um, flowing out of the Bible, describe ordinary people just like you and me, um, people we hang out with as the following, quote, naturally far from righteousness, as inclined to evil, as lusting for what is contrary to the Spirit, Therefore, every person born into this world deserves God's wrath and damnation. I wonder, does that sit comfortably with you? Uh, is that how you see yourself? I wonder, how do you perceive yourself? At this point, right, I'm not actually persuading you to think of yourself like that. I'm just flagging it. So that as we look at Mark chapter 2 tonight, your self-perception in terms of your sin and your failures and your flaws will make all the difference to how you appreciate the person and the work and the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. Because in this story that we're looking at today, or the, or the collection of stories we're looking at today in Mark chapter 2, all the stories come together and are united by one big idea, conflict. 
Mark um, doesn't try to build the suspense, doesn't kind of give us exhaustive explanations or details. Um, He's stripped back the account of the life, the work, and the facts of Jesus, and in the middle of it all is conflict. There's a sharp move in in Mark, right? Back in chapter 1, Jesus is doing all these great things. Uh, His popularity is growing. Everyone's flocking in from all over to see him. We come to chapter 2, Jesus is still doing amazing things, gracious things, but now enemies are being created by it. All of it hinges on how people perceive themselves. So if those descriptions I gave to you before, you know, the one from Isaiah and the one from Luke and, and the one from those 39 articles, if those descriptions I gave you before make you feel a little uncomfortable, maybe that you feel offended by them, well, you're probably not going to like Jesus tonight. But if any of those things ring true, if you see yourself and you see in yourself all the flaws and the foibles and the faults and the failures, then I suspect and I hope that your heart will be warmed and suckered and comforted as we look at Jesus tonight. So three answers, right, to who is Jesus. Three answers tonight. Um, Jesus is the help of sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and Jesus is the joy of sinners. All from Mark chapter 2 and just into chapter 3. So firstly, Jesus is the help of sinners. Uh, Firstly, we see this in chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. Um, Pick it up with me at the start of chapter 2. In chapter 2 verse 1, Jesus has gone back to the place called Capernaum, and there is this sense of excitement, right, because he's done great things, amazing things already. Words getting out, people are flocking to him. In verse 2, right, so many people are flocking to him that they're like spilling out of the door, down the street. Um, People are trying to lean in through the window. Jesus can't get out. He's trapped inside. Um... People can't kind of get to him, so he takes the opportunity, right? Um, People are here. He just proclaims the word of God. Because as we saw last week, chapter 1, verse 38, that's why Jesus came into the world. And Mark, right, senses the urgency um, going, um, and, and without any flourish, right, we simply meet this group of friends who are determined to bring their paralyzed mate to meet Jesus, So in verse 4, they go up, they see the crowd, they go up onto the roof and they start kind of burrowing through the roof. It would have been a thatched roof, it wouldn't have been concrete or asbestos tiles kind of falling onto the head of Jesus, etc. They lower him down to the very feet of Jesus and then we get this twist, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are are forgiven. Not, you're healed, get up and walk. No, your your sins are forgiven. You can almost hear, right? I don't know, you can almost sense the friends going, hey Jesus, like, didn't you, didn't you notice our mate? And at that moment, I think in that room, in that very place, in real space, in real time, in our history, I think you could cut the air with a knife. Because Mark, Mark doesn't cut to the response of the paralytic. He doesn't cut to the response of the friends who went to all this effort to bring this person to Jesus. Instead, in verse 6, we go to the minds and the hearts of the scribes. Now, these guys, described as the scribes, they, they took God really seriously. Um, you know, they were trained in interpreting the law, the Torah. And by laying on of hands at a special ceremony, um, these scribes were recognized publicly as the guys who were the guardians of truth. And what do they hear? Well, they hear blasphemy. 
They hear lies coming from the lips of Jesus, in their opinion, in their view, only God, Yahweh, has the right to forgive sins. And rather than back down, though, Jesus kind of backs up his offensive comment. He he knows what's in their hearts. So Jesus does what is harder to make false claims about someone in public. He heals the man on the spot. And so verse 12, right, to the crowd's astonishment, absolute amazement. This man's wasted muscles are restored. The paralysis, we don't know where it was in his body or for how long he had it, but it's gone. And he walks. Jesus breaks the power of sickness, right? So that you and I can know without, without doubt that Jesus has the power to break, the, break sin as well. Mark shows us Jesus, the help of sinners. And at one level, right, as we read this part of the gospel of the Bible, um, at one level, it challenges our view of sickness. So Jesus, in his interaction with the paralytic, shows us that there's an intimate link between sin and sickness, between healing and forgiveness. And I think that jars, right, with our 21st century Western mind. There is, though, a moral, a spiritual and a theological explanation for illness. See, when humanity rejected God, recorded in Genesis chapter 3, death and its handmaiden sin entered the world. It became part of our new reality. Now, we want to be really careful here, right? It's not saying that in every instance of sickness there is somehow simplistically a, a tie to a moment of sin. As if, like, you know, someone says, oh, I feel like I'm a bit crook in my stomach. And then you go, well, that was because you were greedy yesterday. Um, it's not like that. But the reality is, while this world is spiritually disconnected from its creator, from the life of this world, God, there will always be sickness and physical suffering. And don't we know about that right now? Yet, it is right and good, absolutely, that we would pour money into medical research for um, HIV, AIDS, for cancer, for heart disease, um, pour money into research for diabetes, for overcoming stroke, and in this, right in this moment, pouring money and time and effort into finding a vaccine for COVID-19. Absolutely. Why do we do that? Because we're called to love people. But the real and long-term solution to sickness is spiritual. And that brings another challenge to us today. Jesus challenges our view and our understanding of sin. Sin is is not just a minor character flaw. It's bigger and 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 it's a bigger problem than sickness. There's something more painful and and more insidious about sin than sickness. Uh, Jesus in this episode sees before him a man unable to move. But like a doctor, he goes beyond the symptom for the cause. Um, I don't know about you, right? But um, I'm not all that quick, right, to, to pray and confess my sins before God. But I'm pretty quick to pray about people I know who are struggling with sickness, right? So this is what a prayer of mine might look like. Uh, Please pray, Lord, for my cousin who is a bit sick right now. Got an operation coming up. May that be successful. Uh, Provide comfort, success and recovery. And that's absolutely good and right for us to do as God's people. But we also should be praying, Lord, I'm really struggling right now with with pride. I'm struggling with integrity and lust and, and anger. Would you... Would you, would you pray for me? 
Yes, we must care for those who are sick and care for those who are suffering, but to simply address the symptom of sickness either lacks insight or lacks compassion. We don't see what the real problem is. But most of all, this is an incident of comfort. Check out Jesus' words, chapter 2, verse 10. Um, Wonderful comfort here, chapter 2, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Verse 12, and he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went home before them all. So they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is a wonderful moment of comfort, right? That is because Jesus is able to deal with that deep, deep, deep problem of sin. Every healing that Jesus does in the Gospel of Mark drives back death and it drives back sin's reign in our world. In getting the paralytic to walk, Jesus wants both you and me to know that he can break both sin's power and also sin's penalty. Why? Well, the scribes are right. Um, He's no mere man. Jesus is no mere man. He is God in the flesh. I mean, who is this man? Who is Jesus? He is the help of sinners. Now, Jesus... He does deal, right, with the, with the burden of guilt for every selfish thought, every harsh word, every godless action that we've ever done. And it's not that he just simply takes away the feelings of guilt that we have when we do those things, though he does. He actually removes sin's grip. He unlocks the chain so that it's now possible for you and for me in Jesus to live the way that God intended. He actually removes from us the the wrath. He removes from us the damnation that we deserve. And when you get that, there's a clear implication, isn't there? You would go to him and you would take as many people with you as you can. You can't deal with sin. I can't deal with my sin. But God can do far more than we can ever imagine. And like the friends of the paralytic, faith in Jesus means that we rush the spiritually sick to him. In uh, 1787, a man named William Carey um, turned up at a a minister's fraternal. I think that's like a gathering of pastors, having a bit of a chat and something to eat and drink and things like that. Um, At this minister's fraternal, William Carey asked a little pointedly the following question. Quote, does Christ commission his people to reach all the nations? Is it still binding? Do we still need to go and reach all the nations with Jesus. Um, and then there was this infamous, infamous response that he got from a man named uh, John Ryland, another minister, and he said this, quote, Sit down, young man. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you or me. And we hear that, right? And instinctively we go, Carey, hero. And we go, Ryland, boo, you know. But brothers and sisters, wouldn't it be disturbing if in practice we were more like Ryland, not the enthusiast, Kerry? I mean, we know the one who can deal with sin. Don't we want more people to come to him? If we've grasped by God's grace that he is the help of sinners, then we go to him and we need to ask the question, who are we bringing to him? Jesus is the help of sinners. But secondly, he's also the friend of sinners. 
The next incident that Mark puts before us demonstrates that Jesus doesn't just treat sinners as like a, you know, like a notch on his belt or a problem to be solved, but he cares for them as people. It's wonderful. Um, we know in verse 13 that Jesus heads for the seaside. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, Jesus is by the seaside. And the sea in the first century uh, was kind of viewed also as like a wilderness kind of area. Um, it was a bit, it was seen as powerful, raging, unpredictable, and kind of uncertain. And at that moment, Jesus gives this radical call. Verse 13, he went out by the seaside, crowds around, he's teaching. Verse 14, as he's walking along, he sees Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he says to him, follow me. And Levi just got up and followed him. Simple, unqualified call. Another little hint, right, to the, fact, to the fact that without a divine call, no one can be saved. It echoes, right, the call that we, we heard of last week where Jesus comes up to, uh, who was it, Simon and Andrew and uh, James and John, um, all fishermen, right, but it's, it's bolder this time. He's not calling just some kind of average blokes. This time he's calling a tax collector. Now, now, get this right, given Levi's place by the sea, his booth is by the sea, he's a tax collector, he probably um, collected a tax or a toll on the catches of fish that people would bring in, which means he probably knew Jesus' first disciples, um, John, James, Andrew and Simon, and, and he wouldn't have been liked by any of those people, right? The tax collectors, right, they were outcasts in these days. They worked on behalf of the Romans. Uh, they were known for extorting people and, you know, working really for their own good. And yet Jesus invites him, this kind of guy, to follow him. And for Levi, it's, it's a massive call. You know, if he leaves his post, he could never return. He couldn't go back to the, a job that, like James and John or Simon and, and, and Andrew who could just you know, go back to fishing or go back to their father's business. Like There's no job keeper scheme from the federal government here for Levi. Levi was giving everything up. But the biggest shock is actually yet to come. Um, Jesus isn't just gathering together a band of kind of undesirables. He's making bad friends. It's quite incredible. And uh, you see what he does in verse 15? He goes around to Levi's place for... A meal. Um, verse 15, And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Jesus brings this man into his company and then throws a party. It's beautiful. You know, and even today, right, if you go around to someone's house, which is unlikely to happen very much right now as we keep apart from each other and do all the right things. But if you do do that, when we remember doing that in the past, and hopefully we will do that in the future, no doubt, um, when you go around to a, a person's house, right, it's a sign of friendship. You share a meal, you share some drinks, you share time together. The people you have around, the, the places you go, they're your friends. At least I hope you would see them as your friends or they consider you a friend. But it's even more powerful, right, in a culture where... They had religiously based purity rules about who you could and who you couldn't eat with. And again, Mark doesn't record actually what Levi's response is. He doesn't record the banter of the sinners and tax collectors around the table. We just get the scandalized scribes and their response to what Jesus is doing. 
these scribes, right? These guys that had worked hard, put effort into being holy because they knew that God was holy. They took it all really seriously. So they can't understand, right, why Jesus cares too little for holiness. But have a look at Jesus' response in verse 17. Jesus in verse 17, And when Jesus heard the grumbling of the scribes, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I mean, Jesus just takes it to them, right? He mocks those who will keep their distance. He's not saying, oh, you're righteous scribes, you're okay, don't worry about yourselves. Jesus is saying that he has come for sinners. Those who recognize that before God they are bankrupt. They're in need. Desperate. Not self-reliant. He came for those who see their good works as filthy rags. He came for those who, who look to heaven and can only cry out for mercy, not cr- like cite all their credentials. You know, not that Jesus is condoning sin by any stretch, right? His friendship transforms sinners. You know, like a doctor does treating a sick patient. You know, when a patient comes into a doctor's rooms or in the hospital, the doctor's aim isn't to keep that patient in a holding pattern of sickness. They actually seek to heal them, bring them to full health and vitality and, and function. And it's not that Jesus doesn't value holiness. No, Jesus cares so much about holiness that he'll break all the barriers down that hold wretched sinners back from the Holy One of God so they might be transformed into his likeness. I mean, who is this man? Who is Jesus? He is the friend of sinners. And this is great news, right? If you're here with us at Online Church tonight, if you're a member of our normal community or if you're joining us from a long way away, and if you realize you're sitting there tonight and you go, my sin is ever before me in my eyes and in my heart, here is comfort for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for you. You don't need to earn his favor. You don't need to earn his merit. Now, Thomas Long, right, he was a businessman. He tells this story once of of being in a motel on a business trip. He got into the lift and he saw a little note um, stuck on the wall of the lift. And the note read this, quote, Party tonight, room number 210, 8 p.m., everyone is invited. Now, I don't know about you, that would make me curious. It made this guy curious. He was a regular traveller and he wondered, I wonder what kind of people would turn up to an invitation like that and to a party like that. Um, tired salespeople, bored holiday makers. Um, it excited him enough, right, that he went, I'm going to go. Um, so he went to room number 210 at around 8pm to find that it was a hoax. Someone's practical joke. He reflected afterwards, right, he was disappointed that it didn't happen, so it was a real shame. And to quote him, listen to what he said, quote, For a brief moment, those of us staying at the motel were tantalised by the possibility there might be just be a party going on somewhere to which we were all invited. A party where it didn't matter nearly as much as what got us in the door as what would happen after we arrived. You know, and Jesus throws that kind of party. His meal at Levi's house is just a sample, a taster of the heavenly banquet that Jesus is preparing with a pretty strange and eclectic guest list that he's assembling even now. You know, and this understanding of of friendship modelled by Jesus has implications for us as his people in this time, in this world. It provides great comfort, right? Firstly, that Jesus is our friend. 
He is with us all the time. He's by our side, even now in these uncertain, changing, bizarre, crazy times. He is our friend. But also it challenges us. The implication here is it challenges us, right? Because Jesus breaks down all the social barriers that we're inclined to erect. Jesus defines who we are as his people and who we are to befriend. Where to share meals, where to share our homes, where to show friendship and hospitality to people who haven't earned it. You know, like the scribes, right? We can be quick to find all kinds of reasons to exclude others. Which is what makes, I think, Jesus so refreshing, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't help us as if we're a, a problem to be solved. He invites us to be his friends. You see, the message of the kingdom, it's, it's good news for the poor, it's good news for the sick, it's good news for the outcasts, it's good news for sinners, because they are the ones who need it most. Us, all of us. So our third and shortest point, Jesus is the joy of sinners. Um, it's obvious, right, to the crowds who are watching all this going on, that there's a big rift growing between Jesus and the other teachers, the scribes, the, the teachers of the law. Um, they don't need to read reports of it in the, the Australian newspaper or online or anywhere like that. They, they, can, just, they can see it by just watching on what's, what's happening. And the issue they ask um, in verse 18 is actually all about fasting. Um, it identifies another point of difference between Jesus and everyone else. Um, Just really quickly, fasting uh, was only commanded one time in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. Uh, So once a year where where sin was symbolically taken away. People obviously would fast at other times. Um, Voluntarily, it was connected often with mourning sin or or freeing up time to to pray. And Jesus answers their questions um, about fasting, not with a straight answer, but with more questions. Um, Verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus said to them, Uh, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So we're talking about a wedding, right? And and, and a wedding is a a wonderful celebration. Um, It's not a time for gloom. It's not a time for doom. Um, Everyone's looking for the bridegroom and the bride to to come in. It's It's a time of celebration, not gloom and doom. It's party time. So it makes sense, Jesus said. It's it's inappropriate to grieve sin, when the solution to sin is right in front of you. you know, when he is taken away, Jesus says, a reference to his once for all time sin-bearing death on the cross that we'll get to in Mark chapter 15. Absolutely, when he's gone, mourn and fast, but not while he's around. Anything less than joy would suggest that Jesus hasn't actually dealt with the problem of sin. And that's why Jesus then goes on to share those stories in verses 21 and 22 about, you know, old wineskins and and new wineskins. He says, verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away the new from the old, um, the worse and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Jesus is saying um, the old is being destroyed, the new is coming. In verse 21, Jesus uses language of ripping and tearing. Uh, it's just like the heavens being torn open in chapter 1 as Jesus is baptized. It's just like the end of the gospel as Jesus dies for the sins of the world. The temple, the curtain in the temple is ripped and torn in two. 
access to God is provided again through the life-giving death of Jesus. There's this sense that Jesus is ushering in something momentous, something new is breaking into our experience that changes absolutely everything. You know, just as you can't put new wine into old wineskins, the message of the kingdom of God can't be kind of mixed in with the old institutions of Judaism. You can't go back to the old. The new has come. And Jesus is basically saying that the, the old days and the old ways of mourning sin are are gone. That the days where we're not sure if our sin has fully been dealt with are gone because Jesus has come. And Jesus has come to bring joy. And this is why those of us who have Christ present with us by his Holy Spirit, we've got joy and we live joy. You know, we're not people who are weighed down by guilt and shame and, and always mourning it. Yeah, we know our identity. You know, if you're anything like me, we're not perfect and we know that. We still sin. We still come back to the Lord to confess our sin, but we know it's been dealt with. Now, just really quickly, I'm okay with fasting in these days. And in fact, maybe as we go through this season, uh, dealing with COVID-19, the challenge of the coronavirus, perhaps it will be good for us as a church to spend some time praying and fasting, not to earn favour with God, just, but just to sort of focus our heart's attention and mind's affection on, on God and what he is doing and who he is and appeal to him to act. Maybe that's a good thing for us to do. Um, in Acts 13, for example, people took time out to fast over a big ministry decision. But whether or not you fast... We must live lives that are evidently full of joy. Because by grace, we stand in Christ, by grace. And on that day when Jesus returns, the wrath and damnation that we totally deserve will just pass right over the top of us. And that ought to produce in us joy. And we ought to express that joy in visible ways, even now, even today, in the challenge of COVID-19. You know, we ought to express that joy visibly. Um, the visible joy of the unfastingness of Jesus' disciples kind of stirred up all kinds of interests around them. We need to be men and women, people of God, who express our joy. You know, I, I take weddings from time to time, and the more weddings I've taken over time, uh, the less people sing in weddings. Obviously, uh, weddings can be a mixture of, of people who know the joy in Jesus and people who are yet to experience the joy in Jesus. But... I often feel like I can be the only one singing in the room um, because no one else kind of sings. And the songs we're singing are loaded with joy often, but it just seems like no one's really getting it. But as Christians, right, we, we sing. We sing because of the joy we know in Jesus. Singing, therefore, is a key part of our gatherings. It's why we're going to keep singing as a key part of our online church gatherings. And I really do hope that as our band or as a member of our band leads us in these days, you'll be singing your heart out in your lounge room, at your desk, wherever you find yourself, because of the joy we know in Jesus. And because of James chapter 5, verse 13, um, James writes, Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. You know, we sing. 
We sing even though it may not be to your taste. We, we sing even if the style isn't your cup of tea. We sing even if it's a little bit loud or a little bit quiet. We sing even if it annoys the neighbours. And I would love to hear stories of how we're annoying our neighbours because we're singing so loudly from our lounge rooms that people come and knock on our door and we can explain why the hope we have in Jesus is so wonderful. Maybe that would be a great thing. We sing even if we don't know the tune. We sing even if we're out of tune. We sing if, even if the concerns of life are weighing heavy on our heart. Why? Because God is wonderful. Because God is in control. Because God is compassionate. Because God is the friend of sinners. Because God is the joy of sinners. We sing. We sing because Jesus has dealt with our sin completely. We. We are people of joy. We are people of joy. And it's it's why, right? I'm wondering, Easter is going to look really different this year, brothers and sisters, obviously because we can't get together and celebrate together the, the, the sin-smashing death of Jesus and, the, and the, the life-giving resurrection of Jesus. We can't get together as we normally would. Easter's going to look different. One of my plans leading into Easter for 2020 was that on Easter Sunday, rather than serving coffee and, and like hot cross buns, we were going to serve bubbly and blinis. We were going to have champagne and canapes because we celebrate the fact that we're forgiven in Jesus and we have freedom and forever life because he's alive and well. I don't know, maybe you could do that at home. Pop a bottle of champagne, have some blinis with, I don't know, some smoked salmon and cream cheese and a little bit of chives on the top. I don't know. Do something outrageous. Do something wonderful because we are men and women who are loaded with joy. Joy that cannot be taken away by COVID-19, by death, because Jesus has overcome our death. Please, let's keep thinking of ways, even in these challenging times, to express our joy in Jesus. Because we're people, I don't know, invite your neighbours around to share that champagne, to have a blini, to have some smoked salmon. I don't know, do whatever it takes to let people know the joy you have in Jesus. You know, one commentator said, just before I close, quote, Christians ought to be the most joyful people in the world. Because we are the recipients and now the messengers for the greatest news the world has ever heard. You see, true wisdom consists of both knowing God and knowing yourself. And if you came to online church tonight with a clear perception of your sin, I trust you leave online church tonight just as clearly knowing that Jesus is the help of sinners, that he is your friend. And knowing that Jesus came not for the righteous, but for sinners. And therefore, I hope you leave online church tonight with great joy in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he came to preach good news. And we thank you that many of us listening tonight and watching tonight and participating at online church tonight, we know of that grace. And we know that in Jesus we have forgiveness. We know that in Jesus we have freedom from sin. And we know that in Jesus we have forever life. Lord, I pray that you would make us more and more people of joy, who know deep down in our hearts, in our minds, in our bones, in the sinews of our muscles, the joy that we have got in Jesus. And Father, help us to live out of that joy. 
that others may hear of it, that others might see it, and ultimately that others might experience it in Jesus, just like we have. So Lord, use us. Uh, Father, help us to celebrate even in these challenging times. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Brothers and sisters and friends, we're going to spend just the next few minutes uh, in a time of prayer, uh, coming to our God who hears us and who uh, wants to respond and does respond to our prayers in accordance with his will. So I invite you um, to take on a a posture of prayer. Uh, For some that could be um, just as you are right now. Uh, For some of you it might mean just simply uh, bowing your head and and closing your eyes. Um, For some of us you're very welcome to, I don't know, kneel on the floor um, and uh, and engage in that way. Uh, But uh, let's focus our our heart and our mind uh, coming to God in prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Let's pray for all people and for Christ church throughout the world. Sovereign Lord, you are the hope and healer of your people. And Lord, you have promised a world where there is no more sickness or crying or death. By Christ's death and his resurrection, we thank you that you have set your people free from the penalty of sin and death. Lord, thank you that the coronavirus and all the frightening circumstances surrounding it are not frightening or surprising to you. Thank you that you know everything that is to know about this virus. And Lord, thank you for uh, the desperately needed reminder that we need you. Uh, Lord, we confess uh, that we spend so much time thinking and acting as if we were in control and as if we were self-sufficient. So Lord, forgive us. Uh, Lord, help us to remember that we depend on you for everything all the time. Uh, whether we're healthy or sick, Lord, whether we're wealthy or poor. So, Lord, use this time to teach us and to change us to trust you more. Lord, we pray your kingdom come. We pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray that uh, you would pour out your common grace upon this world. Uh, Lord, halt this virus, Father. Slow this virus, we pray. Lord, in that, we pray that you would prosper the work of those who are seeking a vaccine for the coronavirus. We pray for those involved in essential services, for for health professionals, Father, for people who are uh, transporting and and providing us with good, fresh and healthy food. We pray for leaders of our communities, especially our educational facilities and, and business leaders. Lord, please comfort those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Comfort those living in fear of this disease. And especially, Lord, we pray for those who have concerns about loneliness in this coming season. We lift up before you uh, this night uh, countries that are really significantly impacted by the coronavirus right now. In particular, we remember Italy, we remember uh, Spain, Lord, and we bring before you the United States, where daily we're hearing awful stories of large numbers of people who are dying as a result of contracting COVID-19. We pray in light of that for the families who are now grieving, Father, wrestling with an already strange time, but impacted now by real grief. Lord, please comfort them. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are the God who ministers to the brokenhearted, who saves those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, we pray and bring before you governing authorities. 
Lord, give them great wisdom in their management of this crisis and give to your people a peace that is beyond understanding. Lord, give us generous and wise hearts and a renewed trust in your sovereignty and goodness and glory. Lord, do turn the hearts of many at this time who are now experiencing fear and anxiety that they may find peace and joy in believing on Jesus. The peace that comes as fruit from the Spirit, peace that was wrought by you through the death and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray for ourselves at City Light Church, North Adelaide. We pray for ourselves individually. We pray for our discipleship groups. We pray for ourselves corporately, those scattered. Lord, help us as a church to be wise. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Lord, help us to to not be afraid, to not give in to fear, to, to not give in to discouragement, because we know, Lord, that you are near. Help us, Lord, not to be anxious, but to know deeply your peace. Lord, help us knowing your peace, knowing the joy we have in Jesus, knowing that we don't have to be anxious about anything. Father, from that place, help us to continue to love our neighbours as we have opportunity. Be that our our physical neighbours next door to the places in which we live. Be those our neighbours we work with continually. Be those our neighbours we're in contact with by phone or over the internet. Lord, help us to love, to display the love and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus in word and deed. And at this time, Lord, when all around us is changing, We thank you and we praise you that you are unchanging. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And Lord, as your people gathered, though scattered right now, we come to you with all of these prayers, all of these requests, and we bring them to you through the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.